Bigfoot and the Baby by Anne Gelder, Episode 3. It might be useful to note here that Morton, California, was just over 100 miles northeast of Los Angeles. That distance maintained a cultural gulf between the two cities as vast as the ocean. Yet, born on the westward breeze, along with various agricultural effluvia, the promise of Hollywood still infected the dreams of Morton citizens. Their symptoms invariably flared up in the presence of a camera. At first they pretended to ignore it, but eventually, shyly but with unmistakable expectation, they turned toward the lens. This happened even with security cameras in convenience stores. Whoever watches all that black-and-white footage of little smiles, little head tosses, little shifts to a more macho posture while standing in line with a package of toilet paper? No one, to my knowledge. Yet the people could not help hoping, as the camera clicked or rolled, that the recorded image would summon a black limousine, one soft spring morning, to their house. The chauffeur emerges and, with practiced deference, opens the back door. A robust man in a black suit steps out. He pauses on the driveway to light his cigar and contemplate the humble home that has nurtured the tremendous talent within. The house's front door swings open, and there, in a blazing pool of sunshine, stands the dreamer. The robust man looks up and nods knowingly. The dreamer is then swept into the luxurious back seat and out of Morton forever. On Valentine's Day night, the rustic, Morton's best restaurant, was packed to the gills with couples in love. Many of the same people who had witnessed Kyle's gun safety demo last evening were here. They all made a point of coming over to shake his hand and offer their congratulations, for, although the aforementioned limo had not yet arrived for him, Kyle had every reason to believe it was on its way. A Los Angeles TV station had gotten wind of his accident and had included a brief item on the 11 o'clock news last night. One of those, guess what some hick from the Outlands has done now, kind of pieces. But Kyle didn't mind. The story, as it were, had legs, if not wheels, and they were going to carry Kyle and his family to places they'd never even dared to imagine. His bandaged foot rested on a chair. His crutches leaned against the table. In front of him, like proud soldiers, stood a row of drinks. People had been bringing them over all evening. The joke, which Kyle appreciated, was to make each drink more ridiculous than the last. The one Merritt Stokes had just presented was blue, with skewered cherries alternating with chunks of pineapple and an umbrella. Heard you on the radio this morning, said Merritt. You did good. A representative of Batso's Morning Mayhem had phoned at 6 a.m., and within minutes Kyle had made his national media debut. Batso, broadcasting out of L.A., was a phenomenon across the country, and everybody at the Rustic, at least all the men, had heard the show. The Batso interview had gone like this. So, Kyle, that was one colossal f-up. Yeah. You shot yourself in the foot, man. Yeah. Doing a gun safety demonstration. I mean, you just can't have a more perfect f-up than that. I know. I think Kyle deserves the Batso salute, don't you? Batso's, all together now. You f-ed up, man. So it had been a little short, Kyle thought. The point was, he was on the radar, and his blip was growing bigger by the minute. Enjoy your dinner, Merritt said, delivering a parting back wallop. Jackie aimed an insincere smile at Merritt's wife. Jackie twisted a ringlet of brown hair around her finger. The gesture meant she was mulling something over, which, these days, she did often. She stared, unseeing, at her plate, the candlelight sharpening the angles of her nose and chin. Jackie's look suited her serious nature, Kyle thought. He admired the way she worried about the universe. Jackie's prime rib sat in a pink puddle. Kyle took a swallow of the blue drink and smacked his lips. A fine bouquet, he said, with hints of marshmallow and horse manure. Jackie sighed and patted her stomach. Molly was acting up again, apparently. Kyle could sympathize. 
He too had something inside him struggling to get out. In fact, now is as good a time as any for Valentine's Day surprise number one. I've decided to quit my job and become a comedian, Kyle said to his wife. Jackie winced and shifted in her chair. Evidently, Molly had delivered a flurry of kicks. I was never cut out to be a cop, Kyle explained. Who's the guy who gets hung up on the chain link fence while his partner's busting the meth heads? I'm fat. I've got a bad back. I haven't been promoted in 14 years. The foot thing was a sign. A sign from who, said Jackie slowly. From God, all right. I do believe in him, just not the same way you do. I think God wants me to be a comedian. This was Jackie's territory, and she rose up to claim it. God does not want you to be a comedian, she said, jabbing the tablecloth with her index finger. How do you know? Wars, diseases, the space shuttle exploding. It was all predicted in the book of Daniel, Kyle. Then the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces together, and the wind carried them away. The foot thing, as you call it, was a sign from God that you have to get right with him immediately. Otherwise, you're shooting yourself in the foot. He's speaking to you, Kyle, in your language. Don't you get it? You don't think I'm good enough. Kyle was referring to his impressions. It was ever thus. The people he loved the most had always doubted him the most. In 1970, Kyle was still living in the city of his birth, Las Vegas. He had recently obtained a full-time position as a busboy at the Tahitian, the casino where his father dealt blackjack. Bert frequently reminded his son that he had pulled quite a few strings to get him that job, at the Tahitian's fanciest restaurant, no less, and that he expected Kyle to work his way up to waiter and then Mater D. Kyle did not want to end up like his father, worn down to a nub of pure anger by years of serving the public at its worst. Still, the money had allowed him to move into a studio apartment, achieving some respite from the anger and his mother's compensatory fawning. Working at Smuggler's Cove also allowed him to sidle up to certain celebrities' tables, not that he had yet mustered the courage to do so and introduce himself, and it got him free tickets to all the shows. One autumn evening, Rich Little headlined at the Tahitian. To cap off the evening, Little had done his renowned impression of Nixon. As Kyle raptly observed the master from his corner table, it dawned on him that Little's Nixon lacked something crucial. He had the jowls, the hunch, and the peace signs, or make that victory signs. But Little didn't have the eyes right. There was something of the trapped animal in Nixon's eyes, and for some reason Little could not convey this. Possibly he couldn't imagine being trapped himself. After the show, Kyle went to an out-of-the-way men's room and worked up his own Nixon in front of the mirror. He hunched and sank his neck into his shoulders. He shrank his eyes down to suspicious sparks in the grim expanse of his face. He made V signs and said some nasty things about hippies. That's when it happened. Though his physical features were actually quite different from his targets, he saw and felt himself merging with Nixon. The transformation was thrilling and also a little frightening. His limbs tingled. A bizarre being loomed in the mirror. Kyle and Dick Nixon fused. He ran over to his father's table because he knew if he hesitated, that amazing thing he had become would vanish and probably never return. Barely catching his breath, he did Nixon right there in front of all the gamblers. But Bert just glared at him like Kyle had stuck a knife through his heart. He growled, So this is what you've chosen to be? A mocker of men who try to do something on behalf of their country? You choose not to serve your nation in combat, and yet you mock its president at this time? You are a mocker, Kyle. That's all you are, a mocker, not a doer. By coincidence, later that very night, Kyle had met Jackie, who was visiting the casino with her mother. And fifteen-odd years later, here she was telling him, just like his dad, that his impressions were not appreciated. 
This is the most serious time in all of history, Jackie was saying, cradling Molly with one hand and jabbing at the tablecloth, which evidently represented this time in history, with the other. It's mankind's last chance. Then I have to take the leap now, Kyle said. Go out with no regrets. It's not as though money would be a problem, right? We could live on credit and never have to pay. 